Welcome to the Newtown Big Dreams Podcast, an interview-style talk show that's your gateway to the fabulous and fascinating people who relocated to start a new life. Whether you're new to our podcast or your city, our fellow neighbors from across Canada, North America, and the entire English-speaking world share their stories of reaching new horizons and big dreams. So sit back and relax as we navigate in-depth and intimate conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, executives, creatives, and anyone who can share their story about their new town, Big Dreams. And now, here's your host, Luke J. Menkes. Hey, everybody. It is April 26th, 2021, and it's about 6 o'clock a.m. here on the West Coast. This morning, I am with Mike Acker, and he is in Daphne, Alabama. Mike is an executive and communication coach. He is a keynote speaker, and he is the author of four books, including the best-selling Speak With No Fear, which has appeared on numerous book lists, even getting designated as the number one book on overcoming fear of speaking on Forbes.com. Mike passionately coaches business professionals to lead and speak with confidence in presentations he entertains and he inspires audiences using stories of growing up as the son to drug smugglers who turned missionaries. A fascinating story. He retells and relates lessons learned on how to overcome insecurity and exclusion in a cross-cultural setting. And he unpacks the path from employee to manager to leader. Thank you for getting up so early, Mike. It's great to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Luke. I appreciate it. Looking forward to still having a little chat with you and serving your audience and giving them something that's going to be helpful to them, as well as just something fun to listen to wherever you're listening to the podcast. You know, when I go back into this last year, it has been quite the change as for so many people. I was in corporate sales and doing coaching on the side, and my coaching was increasing, increasing since I published my book, Speak With No Fear, two years ago. And as it increased, the pandemic hit, and we had a chance to just get out and quarantine near the beach down in the Gulf Coast, in the Gulf of Alabama. Well, my wife's family's near that area, so they quarantined with us, and so we're just all in this little condo, quarantining, kind of enjoying the sun. I, normally, I was in Seattle area. We still have a presence in Seattle area, still have an office there. But overall, it was this kind of moment where just the world stopped, and here we are down by the Gulf Coast looking out at the water. So my wife says when we get back to Seattle and you know quarantine's lifted, pandemic's still in operation, still everybody's masking up, and we're in the Seattle area and everything in Seattle was closed down. Every single thing was closed down. So you could just stay at your house and do nothing. And my wife said, you know, we just had this glimpse of being out in the sun. We were down by the beach and she pitched a whole idea of everything. And she said, and your coaching business keeps growing and growing and growing. And we had already talked that one of my two jobs was going to have to give. The coaching was a side hobby that became a business that kept on growing. And then I had my full-time job, corporate sales. 
So I had to really think through the both of them. I talked to my boss over in corporate sales, and he's like, yeah, I mean, this is all crazy right now. We couldn't do half of our job. We were just on the road. And so my wife and I just made this huge leap, and we said, from Seattle, Pacific Northwest of the United States down to the Gulf Coast in Alabama, the Gulf of Alabama, in just that summertime of last year. And we dove in. So we moved down to Daphne or Fairhope, Alabama. So we we drove 45 minutes to the beach yesterday. We're out in the sun yesterday. It was amazing. And uh, it's horrible summers. So we plan to be in Seattle in the summers. And then it rains actually so much here. Talking about new towns, I would think that it didn't rain as much. But when it rains, it pours. More rainfall per year than Seattle, but less rainy on a daily basis. Really? So, um, yeah, it's crazy. So you said the summers are pretty rough. I'm guessing super hot and super humid. Mosquitoes? Do you oh have a lot of gosh. mosquitoes? Or? Yeah, we we have we have a pond behind our house. and. Oh. And so we just hired a mosquito team that just comes in and sprays everything down for mosquitoes to reduce it 90%, yeah. which is going to be good because last year we all flocked to the the white pale guy that I am <laughs> and right. just sucked up my, my Pacific Northwest blood. Right. So are you close to a big city or, uh, cause I haven't heard of Daphne before. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not one of those well-known, like, hey, let's go move to Daphne. Like, before I lived across the, the lake from Seattle in Kirkland, you know, the home of Costco, right. Kirkland brand signature. And so it was a pretty well-known area, and all Google's there, and all the Microsoft's right by there, et cetera, et cetera. So I moved from there with, you know, 10-minute drive over to Seattle, and now I'm in Daphne with a 20-minute drive to Mobile. So that's the mm. biggest city. But Mobile is not like the city that you go, let's go hang out in Mobile. This is an amazing. <laughs> We've done it, but it's not the allure that a lot of other big cities have. Right. How do you like it so far? Are you loving it? Uh, you, we do. It's It's been – I love it, and there's a little bit of mourning of – I mean, I'm Pacific Northwest born and raised. Yeah. And never saw myself leaving. Although – Although growing up, I lived in Mexico throughout the school year with my family, and but we always came back to Washington. And then we were in California for a year and a half, and we came back to Washington. So really, Washington is, there's a mourning of it. Yeah. And you know how when you look back, you always remember the best parts? Definitely. Yep. So there Go is that, that, too. So yep. we'll, we'll have to check in with you in a few years and see if you move past that. Yeah, I think I think it will be something that... I, we really embrace as I look at it, it's really best for our son. It's really best for, I mean, he's, he's very active outdoors. And so that's a lot of fun. And most of the year you can be active outdoors and then we'll just be gone in the summer. So yeah. <laughs> we'll go back to Washington. That's perfect. That's perfect. So Mike, what made you decide to write a book called speak with no fear? Right. So I'd been coaching off and on for years, whether it was my employees or whether it was just people who, sought me out outside of my role. And as a speaker, as someone who'd done that in in professional and paid gigs and all the different things, people sought me out. So I would just coach them, work with them, or leadership coaching, or people would take me out for lunch and ask me questions. So it was this really side hobby. And I did it then as just, hey, I'll just make a little money extra on the side this month, and then this month I won't do anything. But 
the thing that came back again and again was this issue of how do I overcome my nervousness in speaking? And because I was a person who had to overcome my nervousness in speaking, and I wasn't born confident, I had to learn confidence, I was able to coach people in that path. Really? Right. So that makes it a little bit different. And so my book ends up being a lot of my own personal story. It's a motivational, anecdotal with strategies that people can employ and, and embrace. And so this is one of the topics that came up again and again, and I developed seven strategies based on my own recollections and based on what I did that I could help other people. And so people just went to it, and it's been an extremely popular book. I'm going on the second edition here in one month nice. because it's just been so vital. So uh, that's really interesting because looking at you, I would never guess that you had to overcome a fear of public speaking. Um, and I think that can be encouraging for a lot of people because we, we right. see someone like you and we think, well, you know, I'm never going to be that this person, is, you know, we, we imagine people are kind of born with that kind of natural confidence. Was it um, something that took you a long time to get over? And do you still get nervous when you're speaking? Yeah. So yes to both. It took a long time. And yes, I still get nervous. And I always tell people, in fact, about nervousness, you never, if you're on a scale of one to 10, you never going to get down to zero. Because the moment you get down to zero means that you don't care or you think so highly of yourself. Right. So you always want to have a little bit of one or two. You want to have some nervousness because also nervousness, it gets channeled into energy, which is one of my strategies in my book. But for me, I was born into a a family with a very outgoing dad. My dad's extremely outgoing, Mm -hmm. one of the most extroverted people that you could possibly meet. And my mom is relatively so. She's more introverted. She recharges that way, but she's good socially. Mm. So I was born into this family that modeled it for me. But if if I were to look at my personality, be born to a different family, it wouldn't have gone the same way. So I went into this family and I was born with a speech impediment. So I could not say j or or I couldn't I couldn't hear the difference between shoulder and soldier. I, and I couldn't say jam or jelly. And so I worked on that as a kindergarten. My mom says that I was very fervently, actively working on that, that I knew I couldn't be understood and I didn't want that. And so she said, you were thorough about it, which is one of my traits, very thorough about it. And then I finally got to a spot where I could do that in front of people, gaining confidence, still wanting people to like me. And then we moved down to Mexico. So now here I am, having learned how to speak in English in in the United States. But now I'm learning how to speak Spanish in Mexico. And when I'd stand up in front of people with my awful you know, Spanish accent and everything, people would laugh. And, and inwardly, it it really made me insecure. Outwardly, I turned into a class clown. And so I, I allowed that exterior reaction to, you know, we always develop coping me- mechanisms. So that was my coping mechanism. And then I moved back to the United States. It was difficult again. And I had to reacclimate to American culture and what it's like to speak in American culture and speak on stage. And so the first few times, although it was exciting, it was very nerve-wracking. And I remember I would speak and then I'd just be drained afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I definitely learned it. I tell people again and again as they're coming to work with me and I have clients around the world that it takes a lot of work. And don't think that you can just come in, get a couple sessions and feel like you're good to go. There's stuff I can do with you, but you have to work on it. If you want to become the best version of yourself, you have to work on it. Right. 
So we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, a lot of times in your writing, we see a phrase, where you are is not where you stay. What makes that so important? Yeah, that goes back to my family legacy. So my dad and my mom were drug smugglers, and they made a major, major, major shift. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really? Seriously. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Is that why you were in Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that was a different type of smuggling. They had become Christians and uh, became missionaries okay. at that point in time. Right. Yeah, this I got a I got a book on my shelf uh, from my dad called Pirates, Scoundrels, and Saints, and it comes out in a couple a couple weeks, and I'm just so excited about it. <laughs> His book is is fictional, mm-hmm. but when I read it, I'm like. Oh, this is just you. Every right. single character is you. Every single character is is a smuggler or some kind of pirate or a scoundrel. And I'm like, this is just you reflecting on you in the 60s and 70s when you were doing this. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny. So they they then made this major life choice, and they left their hippie ways and became conservative Christians. And I'm not talking about political Christians who just, you know, wear a cross and uh, say, hey, I'm good. I mean, they were like, let's read the words of Jesus every single day and figure out how we can live this out. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did. And we were raised in a very, um, we went to nursing homes and we smuggled Bibles into China because my dad figured, eh, smuggle Bibles for years, smuggled something else for years, didn't get caught. Let's do China in 1985. Serve the poor in Haiti, serve the poor in all these different areas. And so as a result of that, my my uh, upbringing was very different, right? I was yeah. able to see what you could do. Just because you were in one spot in life, a drug smuggler, um, or other bad things that happened to my family, doesn't mean that you have to stay there. Mm-hmm. My mom has things that happened to her, and she didn't have to stay there. And then in my own life, just because I had a speech impediment, doesn't mean I have to stay there. Just because you are down and depressed or pandemic doesn't mean you have to stay there. And so much of the choices that we make, make us. Mm-hmm. And if we would lean into strategically making choices that we could get ourselves to a place that we want to be versus a place that we just fell into. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you remember uh, how old you were when they made this transition? Yeah, I was, I think I was, I was like two when they made the transition. My sister remembers a little bit more. I remember when they became Christians, my mom was actually a a new age witch. So she would have classified herself as a witch. Mm -hmm. And so she had a lot of just different tokens of magic and different things in her house. And my sister vividly remembers her burning them all. I mean, we're talking thousands of dollars worth of of witchcraft paraphernalia and burning them in our house. So she remembers that transition. We don't remember the drug transition, although when we talk to our family members, they they remember it. Right. And they remember my dad and my mom taking the 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 whole outgoing risk mm-hmm. nature and then bringing that into to missions. So we we went back and we gave back. We went out and served the poor and and lived in Mexico, and um, you know, although I went to a private school, eventually, my my parents and I on the weekend would be serving and feeding hundreds of people, wow, and clothing people, and then that still continues today. I still fund wells in in Africa, and and have been part of building houses and such. Mm-hmm. 
What a powerful story. That's amazing. Um, one, one of the seven strategies you mentioned in the book, you said there's seven. One of them is uh, it's not about us. Can you explain what you mean by that and why it's important for us in speaking? Right. So do you remember in middle school, you go to some kind of middle school activity and the whole time your time that you're there, you're thinking, they're thinking about me. They're thinking about me. They're thinking about me. What do they yeah. think about me? Do they like my hair? Do they like this? Well, the whole time that you're thinking about yourself, everybody else is not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Right. They're thinking, does he like me? Does she like me? Do they like me? Do I fit in? And so there's this insecurity inside of all of us. And the more we dwell on it, the more we, well, the more we get anxious. Mm-hmm. Because the more we think about ourselves, the more anxious we are thinking about ourselves, the more insecure. We notice things that nobody else notices. I notice things about myself because I see myself every single day that you would never notice. Mm-hmm. You don't notice this blemish or that blemish, but I do because I see it. And likewise, when we go into speaking in settings, we often think, what will they think? Will they like my presentation? Will they think I did a good job? Will they, will they respect what I have to say? Will they listen in? Will they tune in? And so often in speaking environments or team meetings or whatever it might be, we're so concerned thinking about ourselves that if we would stop and think about what can I give to people? So literally when I'm coming into a podcast like yours, Luke, I'm literally thinking, who am I talking to? How can I help them? How can I provide something to them? And the more I think about you, the audience, the less I think about me, the speaker. Mm-hmm. So the more I think about, this is a good strategy that if you would embrace it, then then I'm not so caught up in going, oh my gosh, is the audience going to stop the podcast right now and not listen anymore? Right. Because I'm not there. So it's such a huge strategy, the shift in our mind. It's so true in other areas of life too. I mean, if you think about going to a nice restaurant and some nice event, you're thinking, what do people think about me? Mm-hmm. If you think about going to the streets of Mexico and serving some poor kids and helping them out and feeding them, no longer are you thinking about what does your hair look like? Mm-hmm. You're thinking about how can I make this the best day of this kid's life? Mm-hmm. And what's what's relevant there? Well, in one environment, you're only thinking about how do you look. In the other environment, you're thinking about how can you serve? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even matter if you look awful. You probably smell and you probably look weird and you're probably tired. And that's okay because you're not there for you. Yeah. One environment, you're there for you. And in one environment, you're not. And that shift will help you overcome your nervousness. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Every time I've done that, where I actually start thinking about my audience, uh, the nerves just go away because I'm thinking about them. And uh, that's excellent. So another strategy that seems to kind of contrast with that one is called you be you. And you read about two weights that you carry as a communicator. So what is, what does you be you mean? Right. Ultimately that often we're trying to be someone else when we speak. And it's because we, we respect someone. I was working with a major in the military and she wanted to be like this one commanding officer that she once had. And I said, well, what's the difference between you? Well, ethnicity, background, gender, age, generation. I mean, there's so many differences between the two. Yeah. She wanted to be like him. Mm-hmm. Well, every time she tried to be like him, she failed because you can't be a great imitation of someone else. Mm-hmm. You can be the best version of yourself. So again, again, I say, 
Don't settle for being a poor imitation of someone else. Find out how to be the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. In that, improve yourself. By improving yourself, you can actually serve others better. And you can actually get out of your head more. Yes. Because you're not thinking, am I doing it the way that I should be doing it? Just do it the way you do it. Now, improve yourself, but don't try to be someone else. Improving yourself is not the same as trying to be someone else. When I was a kid, my, my hero was Bo Jackson. Happens to be a black athlete. Mm -hmm. And he had a crew cut at the time. Well, I didn't know this, but my white blonde hair coming down to my you know, middle of my face cannot ever be cut like Bo Jackson. Right. So I desperately wanted to have Bo Jackson's haircut. My mom tried to convince me it wouldn't work, but I wouldn't have it. So we went to a barber and I got Bo Jackson's haircut and it looked awful because right. I don't have his type of hair. Right. And I was trying to imitate somebody that I couldn't imitate. Best be a great version of myself. And we do that again and again. We try to be somebody else. But instead, how can you just be yourself and be a great version of yourself? So I had that type of hair. What can I do with that type of hair? What can you do with what you have? Mm -hmm. When it comes to the two different weights, when you're speaking, you have two weights that you're carrying. So you have the weight of content, and then you have the weight of personhood, who you are. And those are the two things you're carrying in front of people. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think about it like a front lateral raise, like if you take a 10-pound weight, and you hold it to your chest, it's not heavy at all. It's just 10 pounds. Everybody can carry that for a long period of time. Right. But if you take 10 pounds of weight, even the, the buffest guy who takes that 10 pound of weight and holds it away from his body, and after just a little while, it's going to start shaking. Because mm -hmm. the further that you get that weight from your body, the heavier it becomes. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get up in front of people, if you have content that you don't know, it's like a 10 pound weight far from your body. If I'm trying to talk to you about nuclear reactions, um, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. Or put me on something that I just read a book about and I have no idea about it. Uh, but you have me talk about this right here. This is something I feel very comfortable. So that 10-pound weight is now held to, close to my chest. No mm -hmm. matter whether you have it far away or close by, it's still a weight, but it's going to be easier to carry. Mm -hmm. Personhood is exactly the same. The further you are from yourself the more that weight is going to be heavy far from you. But if you take that weight and you bring it to your chest, now, now you have something that you're, that you, it's still weight. You're still having to carry yourself in front of people, but now you don't have to try to carry someone else. You can just carry yourself. Excellent. Excellent. Now you don't um, talk about presentation skills or writing speeches in this book. What was the reason that you left those out? Yeah, I'll eventually get to those, but there are so, so many, so many places that talk about those. And there's like a new public speaking book that gets released, I don't know, every single week. Yeah. And they just rehash the same type of presentation skills, presentation skills, presentation skills. And, and one of the authors from one, I won't mention what it was, but I just thought this was so ridiculous. One of the authors from one of these newer presentation skills goes on and leaves a comment on mine, just like bashes my book. <laughs> it got removed from Amazon. But there are people who are just trying to get their stuff out there. And those those are fine. If you want a good presentation skill book, get Carmine Gallo's Talk Like Ted. Fantastic. It's the number one, it's probably the number one public speaking book on, on Amazon. Okay. And it's it's the top one. But but he doesn't cover a lot of these kind of internal stuff and motivational stuff. So I just took a different approach and it was what was helping my clients. Mm -hmm. There's been some people who said, 
it wasn't worthwhile. It wasn't a lot of content, not as good as Carmine Gallo's book. Uh, but overall, I've actually had people come out to meet with me. And I've had people reach out to me from see, uh, Germany, Switzerland, France, UK, Australia, Dubai, Zambia, Peru, uh, and several other places, Canada, United States, uh, about the book, straight from the book. So it's been really, it's felt very honoring to, to provide something that's helped people. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And uh, that totally makes sense. You don't want to just repeat what everybody else has already published. And, um, and it ties in with what you just said about being you, right? It's what you're knowledgeable about, what uh, has changed you as a person. So it makes sense that that's what you would write about. Um, you talk a lot about smiling, pausing, and breathing. Tell us why you put so much emphasis on those three things. Yeah. If you want to save hundreds of dollars in coaching programs, and then you just got to do these three things, right. smile, pause, and breathe. If, if you smile, actually, if you pause, it'll give you room to smile. It'll give you room to breathe. A lot of people in their speaking, their breath is so shallow. Now, I actually coach people, and in my programs, I have videos of me breathing showing you how to breathe and counting it. So there is more you can do, but you could just do it from home. Sit at home, work on your breath. If you don't work off of the performance, you're not going to work in the performance. A lot of people, they actually, their breath, their breath goes against them even when they're thinking about it in performance. Because mm. what they do is they take a deep breath beforehand and then they actually tighten up. Yeah. Because they're not used to breathing tightly or deeply. But if you are doing yoga beforehand and you're intentionally thinking about presentation and you're practicing it in your speaking beforehand, then when you come into your speaking, you're ready to breathe. Mm -hmm. Likewise, for pause, if you want to get rid of your fillers, pause. Just learn how to pause. Yeah. If you say a lot of fillers. Fillers like uh and um and... Yeah, and elongated words, so uh, I'm just going to talk to right. you about this, or even likes or yeahs, right. any words that you use to, to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. But if you pause, it will take out the fillers, and it will, it will give the audience a chance to actually respond to what you're doing. Yeah. It will also give you a chance to, to breathe. And then if you smile, I mean, smiling is so powerful. It makes you more attractive. It actually makes you think other people are more attractive. It makes you feel more confident. It makes you come across more confident. It changes the sound of your voice. It changes what you do with your mouth. It actually changes the way you look with your eyes. And so on and on. And it releases neuropeptides into your system, causing a a sense of more peace and happiness. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of politicians and a lot of news people, frankly, should take your course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're, we touched on it. What makes your book um, different than others? But you've received over 300 positive reviews on Amazon, which is great. This book just came out in, in 2019. What are some of the other things you think makes it different from the thousands of public speaking books that are out there? Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, I hadn't even thought through that when I sent you a little bit about this and we were talking about this. My my book has actually gone on to get 500 plus reviews now and nearly 100 on Audible. So it's just amazing. So what is so different is that this book is, well, one, I didn't come out of the womb speaking. So I have had to do 
this. And I haven't, I'm not just reflecting on what others do, have done. I'm telling you from a practitioner, from someone who's overcome this, this is something that works. It's something I still do today. A lot of these strategies, it's not about you, you be you, and all these different other ones that I walk you through. So it's not something that is just theoretical. It's something that's personal. Mm-hmm. And that's connected with a lot of people on this book. My next book I'm working on right now is Connect Through Emotional Intelligence. So I think a lot about connection. And this book, there's a lot of connection in it. That's what has really resonated with people. One person, he picked it up at the Minnesota airport, and he came and he drove out to meet with me. And he said, Mike, this book is like a Bible to me. And I said, what is it that makes this book so important to you? He said, I just felt like you were talking straight to me. So it wasn't just at me, it was to me. Excellent. Um, Now, you've got three other books. So the one you just talked about will be your fifth. Um, Yeah. Can you give us a one-sentence intro to your other three books? Yeah. So write to speak, how to write a speech, how to write a presentation. Then lead with no fear, small shifts that you can do personally to change you into a more effective leader. And I wrote that with Steve Kutzler. And then Grow Your Soul was a kind of a quarantine project. I pulled out a whole bunch of blog thoughts I had in the past and kind of wrote it into my own story of why after years of being in church and leading church, I got to a spot where I didn't want to go to church and how I got back to a path of where my soul was refreshed and renewed. And then Emotional Intelligence, how to manage your emotions and the emotions around you so that you have more success in your relationships and in your work life. The uh, Audible uh, version of Speak With No Fear, do all four of your books have an Audible version or just that one? Yeah, Right to Speak does not, but all the other ones do. Right okay. to Speak was fairly technical, so it's a little bit harder to to make sure that I got it like that. Do you read your own books or do you hire someone? I did my first book, and I'm gonna, I'm about to do the second one, and I mean I have a good home studio now. But I had the one that I co did, I did with somebody else, and then my kind of my grow your soul one, I did not read myself. But the the upcoming ones that I do, I'll read myself. Mm-hmm. Mike, um, tell us how people can get your book and uh, learn more about you and your coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. So mikeacker.com is the home place of my business and all the different things I do. So you can find me right there and you can even schedule a consultation with me, which is just advanced.as.me forward slash start. And you can find a time to chat with me about your goals and such, but you can find that right there on the website as well. But would absolutely love to, to talk with you, figure out how to work with you. My book is found on Every major distributor, you can order it through there. So you can order it through Barnes & Noble or Walmart or go on to Amazon and get it there as well. And just if you type in Mike Acker, A-C-K-E-R, kind of like tracker without the T-R. Right. So acker.com, you can find it there. And Audible as well. Audible as well. Audible and then Kindle. And yep. Mike, thanks so much for your time. It's been a great conversation. I've learned a couple of things and uh, I know my audience will too. So I appreciate your time. Thank you, Luke. Thank you so much for having me speak to your audience and work with you here today.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Newtown Big Dreams podcast with your host, Luke Menkes, and his authentic guests. And we love our listeners and hope you subscribe now to learn more about the amazing journeys of our incredible guests who relocated to find a new town, big dreams. And remember, make your dreams big. Thank you.